one semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about a speech. And I'll be talking about a bond between a mother and a daughter. I bet this is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I I must confess, I still believe... No. Um, <laughs> when is that? What? I must confess, I still believe. Still believe. Yeah, how dare you? Anyway, I went ahead and read your sources down here on the pagey page and skip hollandsworth texas monthly Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a good one Mm -hmm. i'm excited Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. normally when you start talking Mm. you just tune out out. out. (laughs) (laughs) you know usually when you say that i think you're joking but i started singing christmas shoes for the second time last episode and you had no idea why because you had just tuned me out completely. <laughs> okay, in my defense, at that point we were taking questions from the Discord. I was reading questions. It's a lot, lot going on, a lot of multitasking for me, all right? Uh, right off the top here, I have to issue two corrections. Oh, please do. The first. Did you slander my good vagina? <laughs> I have to just put it out there to be clear. <laughs> Kristen did not receive vaginal rejuvenation surgery. That was just a little joke I was making, and I didn't mean for anyone to actually believe that she'd had that done. The funny thing about this is I don't give a shit <laughs> right? if people think I had that done. But um, David and your aunt both, both heard really, us. Yes, heard, heard me talking. And I guess they just believe I have the voice of an angel and everything I say is... 100% correct. That's right. And they completely believe that you had vaginal rejuvenation surgery. Over the break. Yeah. My favorite part is that it's over the break. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime this podcast goes on break, don't yeah. believe the reason we tell you. Mm-hmm. Believe that I'm having my bathing suit zone just yeah. reworked Resurfaced. a little. Tweaked. <laughs> <laughs> Resurfaced. Like a driveway. Anyway, do you have another correction? I do. I have a second correction. This one Boy. is via my mother. Uh-huh. George Washington's teeth were not made of wood. They were made of bone and tusk and probably the teeth of slaves. Oh. Yes. So, my sincerest apologies. You don't sound very sincere. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Here's the deal. He had terrible dental hygiene. By the time that he was president, he had one tooth left in his mouth. And so they fashioned him a lovely set of dentures. And the rumors were always that they were made of wood. They were not. And I'm sorry for leading everyone astray. I wonder why the rumor was that they were made of wood. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you like to know? Okay. That would be that would be a really bad thing, though, because I mean, you think about that. Wood can't get wet. I don't know if you know this, Brandy. I don't know if you respect wood, but you're not supposed to get <laughs> like wood all get, wet. You can't. Yeah. Get, oh God, I don't have a single coaster. <gasps> Chrissy, give me those coasters. Quick. Norm's gonna attack you. He is. I'm not respecting his wood currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said. Okay, Patty, please cut that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I'm sorry about saying you got vaginal rejuvenation. <laughs> Here, you b-
Well, how about that? How about that? Anyway, my sincerest apologies about messing up what George Washington's teeth were made of. Hmm. So what my mom told me was that they were made of ivory and tusk and bone. And then I looked it up. And also they were made of human teeth, which likely came from enslaved people. That's terrible. Yeah. Breaking news. The founding fathers (laughs) were terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Way to start this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I've been thinking? What? I've been thinking we're, like, really bad at business because this afternoon – Mm-hmm. We are going to do a Zoom hangout with all of our patrons at yeah. the $7 level. You know, yeah. they all, they already get the bonus episodes. They yeah. already get the stickers. They always already get the autograph. They already yeah. get into the Discord. They get so much stuff. Yeah. And tonight they're getting a Zoom call with us fine ladies. Yeah. And you know what we're doing tonight? Making redemption popcorn. Yeah, we're not making fucking popcorn salad. <laughs> no, we've got a very good popcorn recipe. I'm excited. Yeah, you should be. I am. You're not going to vomit this time. I guarantee it. <laughs> but no, I was thinking we're bad at business because we should probably plan these things out in advance. And then we could promote it yeah. on the previous. Uh-huh. And, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Tuck that away for Let's next time. i my business hat on yeah. and we're going to do that next time. <laughs> Right now, though, what you can do, if you want to see us make that popcorn, you can head on over to our Patreon, Mm -hmm. sign up at the $7 level or higher, and you can watch the video of it. And if you want to just go for the gold, as they say, Mm -hmm. you sign up at the $10 level, that gets you ads. I'm sorry. That gets you no ads. It gets (laughs) you the opposite of ads. (laughs) (laughs) Gets you episodes a day early, ad-free 10% 10% off on merch and all the stuff that you find at the lower levels. Woo! Mm. Woo! Woo! Who doggies? <laughs> I don't really know where to go now. So I, I can tell. Saying, yeah. Woo! You sign up at that level, Brandy will rejuvenate your vag for you. <laughs> no. She has no training, but she really believes in herself. Okay? <laughs> I've got a lot of crystals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Spencer Pratt. <laughs> Oh God! That's I a never deep cut reference. I was gonna say I never watched any of that stuff. You never watched The Hills? No, I didn't. <gasps> okay, Spencer Pratt like went off the fucking deep end, and all of a sudden was just like draped in crystals every day. Oh, because they just made him, you know, feel better. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> hey, boy, we're up to a rocky we're, start. Yeah, this is rough. <laughs> but enough talk of our wonderful Patreon and crystals and Spencer Pratt. Let's talk about. I could just be like a, you know, skeleton here. And there's just like a skin suit next to you? Oh, gross. One of those little purses. <laughs> Everybody, go back and listen to the Ed Gein Ed episode. Gein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are your nipples doing? <laughs> That's rude of you to ask. I will be getting them both rejuvenated in January. <laughs> Is nipple rejuvenation a I, thing? I feel I, like... I think that people do get stuff done to their nipples. Well, yeah, of course they get them done. Yeah, you know... <laughs> what are you doing? No one like, can see these weird gestures. You know, if they start pointing down, people get them pointed back up. Okay. Like a nipple tuck, if you want. Everybody, Brandy made a gesture <laughs> like she had two little pepperonis on her boobs, and she was just rotating them <laughs> like dials. <laughs> anyway, are you going to tell us about a mother and daughter I bond? Am. I am. Or not? Yes, I am. couple of shout-outs. Mm-hmm. 
to my sweet friend and client and loyal listener of this podcast, Doreen. Yes! She is one of our earliest supporters. Yeah. She is recovering from pneumonia right now. She's been really sick. But she recommended this case. Okay. So I thought maybe if she heard it, that would make her feel better. Oh, you think this podcast cures pneumonia? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you claim that it makes your hair longer and shinier and your teeth whiter. So why can't it cure pneumonia? Also, this podcast cures COVID. (laughs) (laughs) No, tell people that. (laughs) Also. Mm Mm-hmm. Shoutiest of shout outs. Oh, okay. From the roofiest of rooftops to Skip Hollinsworth. Mm-hmm. Our boy, Skip, over at Texas Monthly, wrote a very in depth article on this case. Almost all of this comes from that because every other source. Uh huh. They all cite him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he yes. never half asses it. He's <laughs> no. the best in the biz. He is. Yeah. I was like, oh, good. Here's another article. And it's just rephrasing all of the stuff from his article. Yeah. So, so let's. Yeah. Just it, let's hear it for the boy. <laughs> Skip Hollinsworth. Let's give the boy a hand. <laughs> Marie Robards stood in the doorway of the apartment that she shared with her father, paralyzed with shock and fear. She watched as the paramedics tried to intubate her father. She watched as he foamed at the mouth. She watched as his body stiffened and he fought for air, no longer even blinking. Finally, Sandra Hudgens, her father's girlfriend, pulled Marie into a hug, her face pressed against her chest so that the 16-year-old girl couldn't watch her father die. Mm. 38-year-old Stephen Robard's death seemed to come out of nowhere. That Wednesday evening, February 18th, 1993, had been pretty run-of-the-mill. Stephen and Marie had eaten Mexican takeout for dinner, and then Stephen had gone to church for Wednesday night service like he always did. He had returned home to his apartment in Fort Worth, Texas, less than an hour later, though complaining of stomach pains. A short time later, Stephen began vomiting uncontrollably. And so Marie ran to get his girlfriend, Sandra, who lived in the same apartment complex. She told Sandra that her dad wasn't feeling well. In the short time it took Sandra to get to Stephen, though, he was well beyond not feeling well. Stephen told Sandra that he couldn't swallow that his throat felt like it was closing up, and that his arms and legs felt stiff. Mm. Sandra watched in horror as saliva and blood foamed around his mouth. She called 911, but it was too late. Stephen was dead a short time later. The medical examiner later determined that Stephen Robard's cause of death was a heart attack. The loss of a father at such a delicate age would be a crushing blow to any teenage girl. But to those close to Marie, it seemed even more devastating as she'd already been through so much. Her life had been tumultuous for years, and now it finally seemed like she'd been settling in. Steve Robards and Beth Lomer, who were Marie's parents, were high school sweethearts. They had been together from a young age. They were both tall and beautiful. And they had actually gotten married in 1974 when Beth was 
18. I think Stephen was maybe a year or two older mm-hmm. than Beth. They got married um, right as Stephen left for a four-year tour of duty in the Navy. Oh, shit. While he was serving in the Navy, Beth got pregnant and gave birth to their only child, Dorothy Marie Robards, who went by Marie. They moved around a lot. They were stationed in San Diego for a while, Florida for a while, and then finally they wound up back in Fort Worth, which is the area that they were from originally. Thus, back back in, in. Fort Worth. yeah, uh huh, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah, I like to just double explain it, you know, so everybody falls along fine. What is a screen door, though? Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to make you choke on your, what is that, Bahama Mama? Bahama Mama G Fuel. (laughs) This podcast is not sponsored by G Fuel, but I would love for it to be. What is, G Fuel seems like. It's a Uh sugar-free, zero-calorie energy drink. It's a powder that you mix with your water. Are you sure this isn't sponsored? Because it sounds like you're a sponsor to tell (laughs) me this. It's (laughs) delicious. All right, all right. I'm going to stick to my iced coffees. (laughs) So, obviously... Stephen and Beth had gotten married pretty young, and then he'd left for the Navy, and it just didn't lend itself to, you know, a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Their marriage was rocky, and Stephen seemed to battle with depression, which at the time was not something that was... Depression didn't exist in the 80s. Right, or, was, yeah, it wasn't talked about. Like No, it was invented. <laughs> And Beth didn't really know what to do with Stephen when he was sure. having bouts of depression. He, she just, like, didn't understand why he couldn't get out of bed, didn't mm-hmm. understand why he said that he didn't see a point in going on. Like, she just didn't get it. Yeah. Because there was no talk around men- mental health. Right. And so they separated. Did she try telling him to cheer up? Probably. <laughs> There's a lot of toxic positivity. <laughs> yeah, she sang that song, Cheer Up, Charlie. What? That's from Willy Wonka. Oh. Right. <laughs> Sounds know, about as good kid, as Christmas shoes. This poor kid's really sad because his grandparents are in bed and there's holes in their roof and they have mm-hmm. no money. And he wants to just go to a chocolate factory. It's fine. So his mom sings that song to him and everything's fine. Well, it's a lesson for us all. <laughs> it's all up in the old <laughs> noggin, as they say. Right. So by 1980, Stephen and Beth separated. Beth moved out, took Marie with her, and Marie was only like three years old mm-hmm. at this point. By 1981, Beth had remarried. She'd met this man who was um, had also served in the Navy. They'd actually met when Stephen was stationed in Florida. Oh, This guy, Frank Burroughs, was also stationed there at this time. But n- n- there was no hanky-panky going on. I see that look, Kristen. Just some long yeah, lenses was for over sure the shrubs. Something. Right. There was for sure hanky-panky going on. But uh, maybe not. Maybe just some, you know, yeah, right. just some looks. Maybe like a little light touching. Oh, <laughs> oh you're yeah, so funny. Yeah. Just like a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Little deep. Yeah. I mean, by this, okay, she gets, yeah. Anyway, they're back in Texas by now, but she marries this guy that she'd met in Florida. But don't worry, there was no overlapping. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, that was the weirdest <laughs> wink I've ever received, and you're all lucky to have not seen it. 
I'm a terrible winker. You really are. I bad. just look like a pirate. Let me see. <laughs> Your whole face. I is. know. I'm a terrible winker. Do it again. <laughs> All you need is a parrot, and the look is complete. <laughs> anyway, Beth's official statement on Frank mm-hmm. was that. There was nothing between Frank and her when they were in Texas. They were just friends. But after her divorce from Stephen, he relocated to Texas and they thought they'd try out a relationship and then they got married. He was also recently divorced and had a young son. So together they had, you know, two kids and it was a blended family, yada, yada, yada. You get the idea. I don't. But can you explain (laughs) maybe with a theme song? Here's the story. There we go. I was like, is she going to do it? Of a lovely lady who definitely had an affair. Anyway, Marie really, really bonded with Frank. She saw him as her father figure. At this point, she really only saw Stephen a couple times a month. She'd go over for like an evening on a weekend every other week or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so she called Frank Burroughs' dad, and she called Stephen Robarts, her biological dad, Stephen dad. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Marie was like, the best kid by all accounts. She was like a really good student and she had a great relationship with her mother. But as she got into adolescence, her relationship with her mother became a point of contention between her mother and Frank. There was mm-hmm. like a weird dynamic of jealousy, like with Beth, are you going to pick spending time with your daughter? Or are you going to pick spending time with me? And there was a weird jealousy between Frank and Marie. And it just, it started to cause problems. And there are some people that were like, looked at their relationship and thought Marie and Beth were too close, but it's a mother and daughter. Like, Well, what do you mean too close? Like what was going on? Nothing, nothing weird. Just that they would finish each other's sentences. They were very affectionate. They just had a very strong mother-daughter bond. Okay. And, And because of that bond, it caused problems between Frank and Beth and Frank Mm -hmm. and Marie. And it got to the point as Marie got older that she she would pick fights with Frank sometimes or, you know, it it just caused a big point of contention in their family. Right. And then something happened when Marie was in high school. She came home. It was like the summer. It was between, I think it was between her sophomore and junior year. She came home. One day when nobody knew she was going to be home and she found Frank in bed with another woman. Oh, shit. And so she was devastated by this. This was the man that she saw as her father. And then she had to go to her mom and tell her what she had discovered. And her mom was like, you know, I'm really sorry that you had to find that. But Frank and I love each other and and we're going to work this out. Hmm. And Marie didn't understand that. She didn't understand why her mom wouldn't just leave Frank. Um, she she just didn't understand it. And in Beth's words, she blamed herself for the affair. At the time, she was working a lot of hours oh, at the gosh. ER. And she said, this is a quote from her, he felt neglected because of all the time I was spending with my own job. And this was his way of reacting. 
Boy, that's a real generous. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, so Marie's devastated by this. This man that she sees as her father has betrayed her mother, which feels like a betrayal to her. And then when she goes to her mother and is like expecting her mother to be like, that's it. We're leaving. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She's like, I'm going to stay with this man. We're going to work this out. We love each other. Yeah. And so she just kind of started to withdraw from the family and she started to act out and Mm -hmm. it just caused more problems and one day she went to Beth and she said I just can't stand being in this house I can't stand this I can't stand the way that it feels I can't think about Frank I can't I I can't handle this dynamic Mm -hmm. and she said to Beth I think you should divorce him and Beth was like well well that's not going to happen I love him right and so Marie looked at her mother and said, I have to leave then. I can't stay here. And so Beth arranged for Marie to go live with her parents in Fort Worth. So she moved to Fort Worth. She didn't go live with her dad? No. That's kind of interesting. I think it's very odd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she goes to live with the grandparents. Yes, yeah, she goes to live with the grandparents. She gets enrolled at a new high school. But, like, she's gone, like, five days, mm-hmm. and she has, like, a small amount of spending money, and she spends it all on a bus ticket back to Granbury, Texas, which is, I don't know how far away, 45 minutes, I think, mm-hmm. if I would have kept reading my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. She spends all of her money on a cab ride back to Granbury, and she shows back up at her mother and Frank's house, and she's like, I'm sorry, I want to come back home. Mm-hmm. But Frank wouldn't allow it. Oh. Frank was a super strict disciplinarian. And he had established these rules in their house. And one of them was that if Marie or his son ever decided to move out and live with the other parent, their other parent, Mm -hmm. or another family member, they were not allowed to come back home. What? So he said that the reason for this rule is because he didn't want their kids who were had come mm-hmm. from divorced homes to play the parents against each other like oh i'm going to go live at mom's or oh i'm going to go live at dad's so that was the reason for this rule and they had enforced it just a short time earlier when frank's son had gone to live with his mother and then wanted to come back frank wouldn't allow it and so now frank was That's like bullshit i agree i think this is such bullshit now if you get into the situation and then you feel that the kid is playing uh-huh. with you, yeah. then you address it. Yeah. But you don't create these weird rules yeah. before the bad thing happens. Yes. Yeah. So Marie shows back up at the house and Beth's like, of course, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I know you're going mm-hmm. through a really tough time. But Frank Frank says no. Frank says we have to follow the rule. What about the rules imposed on Frank? Like, don't cheat on your like, spouse. Don't sh- yeah, yeah, don't have an affair. It, Beth recalls this and said it was just terrible. They were every the whole family was standing outside the house, just crying and screaming at each other. And Marie was just begging for them to let her come back home and just crying. And Frank was shouting at her, "You know the rule, and you can't break it." And then he looked at Beth and was like. The same thing applied to my son, and now it must apply to her. And Beth said she felt like she had to make a choice in that moment between between Frank and Marie. And she chose her cheating husband. And she chose Frank. Cool. She called Stephen 
and said, Marie needs to come live with you. And so that's what happened. Marie went and lived with Stephen in his one-bedroom apartment. Oh, wow. So by this time, it's like 1992, 1993. And Stephen had actually done a pretty good job of, like, getting his life together. He'd Mm -hmm. gotten help for his mental illness, whatever he was facing, his depression, whatever. Mm -hmm. He was on medication. He'd gotten a really good job as a mail carrier for the Postal Service. He had a steady girlfriend that he'd met at a Parents Without Partners meeting mm-hmm. that lived in the same apartment complex. As soon as Marie came to live with him, he applied for a two-bedroom apartment. They just had to wait for one to open up. And in the meantime, Marie had to sleep on, like, a rollaway bed in the dining room area. Mm-hmm. But for Stephen, this was, like, the moment that he'd waited for. He, like, had gotten his life together. And now he got to have his daughter in his life, like, full time. And it was just perfect. But Marie had a terrible time adjusting. According to Beth, Marie sent her letters all the time talking about how much she hated her new school. It was a much bigger high school than where she'd previously gone and that she felt like she'd just been thrown into this house with her dad and her dad didn't have any idea how to take care of her or take care of a household. He didn't really know how to clean. He didn't have like stuffed food in the kitchen and Mm -hmm. stuff to make dinner. And so they were just like trying to figure out how to live together every day. Yeah, that sounds like a really rough adjustment. Yeah, super rough adjustment. One that probably did not need to happen. Well, and she's being punished because she caught her stepdad Mm -hmm. cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's terrible. But Stephen did everything he could to try and make Marie feel comfortable. He was constantly anxious that, you know, she was unhappy or she was depressed or that, Mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't fitting in or didn't have everything she needed. And so he tried to entertain her as much as he could. He took her out to dinner. He took her to the movies. But still, she was constantly, like, making long-distance phone calls back to her mom and and begging to come home just because that's the life she knew. Yeah. But Beth kept telling her, no, 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 you can't come back. You can't come back. And even at one point, Marie wrote Beth a letter that said that she was feeling suicidal. Hmm. And Beth responded to her by saying, your life's too precious for you to say things like that. You've just got to tough this out. Oh, boy. Mm Mm-hmm. She said at the time she just really thought Marie was being overdramatic. You know the way teenagers can be. Oh, gosh. I'm really struggling with trying to be like, it was the 80s. Mm-hmm. But also, like, how could you hear your, your daughter child... writes you a letter and says, I hate this. I want to come home. I'm suicidal. And you're like, oh, just tough it out, sweetie. Yeah, you'd. I mean, even if you don't say come back home you can at least say yeah talk to the dad and say i think she needs to be in counseling yeah something yeah yeah Yeah. Hmm. or counterpoint tell her to tough it out (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how that works out for yeah yeah (laughs) good 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 so a few months went by and beth was like I was right the whole time because Marie really seemed to settle into her life in her new school. She was doing great in school. She had straight A's. She won some kind of award for keyboarding. (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, she was Wait, no. Is this like keyboarding like music or like typing? No, like typing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so lame. <laughs> oh, and uh, by all accounts, she really seemed to settle in, get more comfortable in her dad's apartment. She developed a relationship with Sandra, Stephen's girlfriend. At Christmas time, they wrapped presents together. And Sandra described her as like the teenager everyone would want. Mm-hmm. Just a good kid. Mm-hmm. So it seemed just as Marie was getting settled into this life with her father and adjusting to the school that she had once hated, this smart, Beautiful girl was dealt yet another devastating blow with the sudden loss of her father. Oh. he oh. Remember, he died at the beginning of the story. I'm Kristen. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you mean when she murdered him? Mm, did she? Yeah, she for sure did. It's mm. a brandy case. Mm. It's all terrible. Also, it seems like someone's perfect, so they're usually the one. People recall that at Stephen's funeral, Marie seemed like she was in shock. She seemed dazed. She just kind of stood by the grave with like a blank look on her face. And then a short time after that, Beth pulled her aside and said that she was leaving Frank. She was going to take Marie and they were going to move to Florida. And Beth recalls Marie's response to that as being surprising to her. She seemed like incredulous. She was like, you you had this plan all along to take me to Florida and you haven't said anything? And Beth's like, yeah, you know, I was just trying to get everything lined up. I, I got a job. I found us somewhere to live. And she said that Marie just had this like the color drain from her face. It seemed like she was having trouble breathing. And and Beth just thought that it was just like, you know, oh, my gosh, this is just another thing I'm piling right. on top of her. She didn't think it was like, oh, my gosh, I killed my dad for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so by the end of March 1993, Marie and Beth had relocated to Panama City, Florida. Beth had a job as an administrative assistant at the State Division of Motor Vehicles. Mm. Marie enrolled in the high school there, but she was having a really tough time. She was depressed. There were lots of days that she couldn't get out of bed, and Beth just didn't understand it. Okay, Beth, at some point you got to learn. She was just worried. She worried that whatever that thing that Stephen had had, it had just rubbed off on Marie. Rubbed off? Yeah. Okay. You know, you know, Stephen used to have trouble getting out of bed and he had dark days. And now Marie, uh-huh. look at her. She's doing the same thing. Should have gotten that depression vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, she sent Marie to counseling. Oh, <laughs> oh not a moment too yeah, soon. Okay. Yeah, which she really seemed to think was helping. Yeah. Marie seemed to be reacting really well to therapy. And then... In June, Frank showed up in Florida, and Frank and Beth were going to work things out. No, there are so many other dudes out there. And so Beth sat Marie down. She's like, this is going to be so great this time, I promise. We're really going to work hard on our marriage. Everything is going to be great. And Marie was like, okay, 
If you say so, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go into this with an open mind. Yeah, I mean, what what yeah. is she gonna say? Yeah, okay. But then, like two weeks later, mm-hmm. Marie was like changing the sheets on her parents' bed or something like that, and like inside of Frank's pillowcase was a note from another woman. He kept it. I, I'm okay. I'm uh, it, focusing on the wrong thing. Yes, kept it in the pillowcase. In the pillowcase. And so fucking Marie had to go to Beth and be like, look at this. You do not have to put up with this. Mm -hmm. And Beth was like, you know, you don't understand. This is my husband. I love him very much. And she was like, fine. I'm surprised she said anything. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Mm -hmm. But finally, Marie was like, fine. If you want to put up with this, you can. But I don't have to. I miss Texas. I'm going home. How old was she at this point? She was 17. Whoa. And so she called Stephen's parents and asked them if she could come live with them in Mansfield, Texas. And they were like, of course, you're always welcome here. And so she did. She relocated to Mansfield, Texas, which is part of Fort Worth, I believe. And she enrolled in the high school there. And she was a perfect student. She got straight A's. She joined the volleyball team. She was on the yearbook. She was like... Oh, so she was cool. (laughs) Let me see where I said that. Yeah, nope, nowhere. (laughs) We knew. We knew. If you're on the yearbook, you're pretty cool. (laughs) She was like this, like, mysterious girl, though. The new girl who just, like, shows up and is involved in everything and just looks, like, chic and beautiful all the time. Yeah, was she born with it? Was she a murderer? Was she, you know, you just have a lot of questions. Students seem to be almost mystified by how elegant Marie was because she was pretty reserved. She wasn't super outgoing, but mm-hmm. she was, you know, involved in stuff and 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 hot, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's, she was super hot. All yes. you have to say is she was hot. Yes, she we was super hot. Yes. <laughs> so Everybody just kind of like wondered what her story was. And she seemed very unwilling to talk about her family life, her past, any Mm -hmm. of that. But there was this girl, Stacy, who was like one of the most popular girls in the senior class. She was like voted most humorous. Yeah, don't point to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But she had come from a very tumultuous background herself. She'd been abused as a young girl. She'd gone through a lot of therapy, seen a lot of psychologists. And she thought, just looking at Marie and the way she carried herself, that she looked like someone who had also been through a lot of therapy, someone who had been through a lot of stuff, someone who was carrying a secret. Hmm. And she wanted to get to the bottom of it. And so she befriended her. Wait, like... Ooh, I'm getting creeped out here. Like <laughs> she just had just the way she carried herself. Stacy was like, "I know, I know that girl. I know that girl has some kind of past. I know, I know it, and I want to know what it is." Okay. And they became really good friends, like best friends. They started doing everything together. They got fake IDs together. Went into town to go to the bars. When they went to a country western bar, mm-hmm. what happened? Oh. Marie wore these tight jeans and this, like, button-up shirt, and everybody called her Cowboy Barbie. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. She was quite popular Mm -hmm. at the bar. 
They were writing partners on the yearbook staff. So again, super, super cool. Brandy, <laughs> just because you weren't cool enough to be on yearbook doesn't mean you have to be all jealous. Stacy liked to do the interviews and Marie liked to write the story. So together, perfect. They were no, I disagree. That's not the way it should be done. I don't mean to tell you how to live your life, ladies. Anyway, are you gonna admit you're jealous? Yeah, <laughs> jealous. It's okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and admit it. I'm all set, thanks. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Anyway, they got very close. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of stuff together. And then one night in January 1994. It was their senior year of high school, and they were studying Hamlet. They were reading through the play when they came upon this, I don't know Hamlet, and I'm sorry if you do, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, because I'm offended already. there's this big speech that Claudius does, and he's like wondering if he can ever repent, whatever. And this is the passage that they read. Mm-hmm. My fault is past. But, oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder. That cannot be since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. Do you nod off when I was reading Shakespeare? (laughs) Fun fact. You know the one reason I never double majored in English? Because you hate Shakespeare? Yeah. You had to take a Shakespeare class. And I was like, nope. (laughs) Nope. Out. Not for me. Goodbye. So Stacy reads this passage aloud, uh-huh. and she's just like in the book, like reading it, and she's right. like, oh my gosh, isn't that so cool how that's written? She's like really into it. Only she looks up, and she sees Marie like across the table from her, mm-hmm. and Marie is like as white as a ghost, and mm-hmm. she's just like shaking. And Stacy's like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> and... Marie looks at her and she goes, Stacy, do you think people can go through life without a conscience? And Stacy's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think there are people who can like look someone in their eye and then just kill someone in cold blood. Like, those people don't seem to have a conscience. And like once she said that Marie got up out of her chair that she was sitting in she like backed against the wall and then like did that thing where you like slide down the wall and you like sit on the floor you don't know what I'm talking about no I know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) and you know what I only remember it happening in like 80s and 90s movies well it's the 90s so did this really happen this really happened according to Stacey okay that was a move people did yes. back then. You don't see yeah. it today. So, yeah. So, Marie gets up, stands against the wall, and then just, like, collapses to a heap on the floor. Young people are going to be like, <laughs> she did what now? Yeah. But the rest of us, we yeah. can all picture it. Like, yes. oh, yeah, that's, this yes. is what you do yeah. when life has you down. Yeah. You back yeah. up against a wall uh-huh. and you scoot your that's butt right. down. That's exactly right. So, she just, like, is on the floor and she's starting to cry. And Stacy's like, Marie, what's the matter? And Marie goes, guess. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> we're not going to guess. And Stacy thought of the worst thing that could possibly be going on with a 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, my God, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And Marie's like, no. And she goes, did you wreck your grandparents' car? And Marie says, no. 
And then Stacy goes, oh, my God, what, did you kill somebody? And mm. Marie just started sobbing, and she nodded her head, and she said, my father. I poisoned my father. And then Marie walked Stacy through how one day she'd been in chemistry class and they were talking about different poisons. And oh, the teacher no. had a bottle of poison out on the table. It was like, as described in this article, it was like a cartoon bottle of poison. Like, it was like a big skull. bottle, big brown bottle with a skull and crossbones on it and a cork top. And while the teacher had their back turned, she went up to it and poured a small amount of it out into a napkin, folded it up and put it in her pocket. Oh, my God. And then that night when she got home, she mixed it in her dad's refried beans. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that night, obviously, we already know. I mean, everybody else does. Kristen has already forgotten the beginning of the story. New to me. (laughs) Stephen Robards died after eating his Mexican takeout. After confessing this, so this has been like a year now. A year yeah. has passed. Yeah. After confessing this to Stacy, she Marie begged her to not tell anyone. She's like, "You are the only person that knows. Please keep my secret. Don't tell anyone." And Stacy thought about it, but that no. night, that night she went home and she told her mom. Good for her. What? Yeah, I mean, that's a good move. Tell your mom. What? Mm-hmm. That is a good move. Yeah, so Stacy goes and tells her mom, Libby, and, and she's like, oh, my gosh. Surely this is not the truth. Surely Marie has made this up or, you know, mm-hmm. is, like, trying to get attention or whatever. But Stacy's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure this is this is real. Yeah. She even told me, like, what she gave him and how he died. And so Libby, who worked in as some kind of, like, nurse educator or something, she decides to call the poison hotline. Mm -hmm. She calls the poison hotline, and she's like, hey, if someone gave someone this poison... Okay, I have to say, I watched an episode of Forensic Files for this, and they specifically don't name the poison on the the episode. They're trying to be responsible. Skip Hollinsworth names it. He names it in the article. I was really really torn on what I was going to do. I don't think I'm going to name it, but... So she calls the poison hotline. It was popcorn salad. (laughs) Killed a man. Exactly. Called the poison hotline and she was like, if someone was given this this poison, could it have these effects? And describes what Stacy mm-hmm. described that Maria told her. And the person on the line was like, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Why are you asking? <laughs> yeah, if I were on the line, I'd be like, <laughs> right. um, are you calling for tips? This is not a right. tip line. And so, and so Stacy's mom, who had it going Go on, on. Mm-hmm. was just like, no asking for a friend and just like hung up and then she didn't call the police well come on Libby she this is so weird to me so she interviewed so Skip Hollinsworth interviewed her and this is what he says he said she told me that after her disastrous marriage, so we know that Stacy's had this really tumultuous mm-hmm. life and was abused and went through all this therapy and stuff, she felt an added responsibility as a single parent to prepare her daughter for the rigors of the real world. She said, I wanted Stacy to know that I trusted her to make her own decision about Marie. I guess I knew that this was the moment in which Stacy was going to have to grow up. 
So she decided not to what? call the police and leave that to Stacy to carry around this information and decide if she wanted to call them. Ma'am, are you stupid? I think that's the most ridiculous thing ever. That's the most irresponsible yeah. thing ever. Yeah. Oh, my daughter who's been through a ton of trauma, you know what yeah. she needs? She needs a murder on her conscience. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let that rest with the child. That's uh-huh. cool. Mm-hmm. And so Stacy was just like, didn't know what she should do. She went to like the high school counselor and she talked about like a friend of a friend who told her something and wouldn't go into too much specifics and tried to get some guidance there. She confided in a friend of hers who had already graduated and was like, hey, if you knew something, what would you do? Mm -hmm. But she didn't really know what to do. And no one seemed to believe the story that she was telling. Yeah. Like. She didn't want to get too detailed, and so it just seemed vague, and, like, people were like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're just lying. You're just making stuff up. You need a reality check. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she started having nightmares. She had nightmares that she was being chased by Marie through a forest, and she could, like, feel her breathing on the (gasps) back of her neck. Yeah. And then she had dreams about Marie's dad, that he was calling to her from the grave, Asking her to help him. Oh, God. She stopped, like, going to class because she didn't want to see Marie anymore. She started, like, drinking on the weekends because she just didn't know how to, like, how to handle this. She didn't know, like, she kept having nightmares. Just the trauma that she was carrying around from this giant secret. A yearbook staff member drinking. That's unusual. We were all pretty straight edge. Finally, like after weeks and weeks and weeks of carrying around this secret, she went to her school's like guidance counselor and she asked the counselor to call the police with her mm. and report what she knew about Stephen Robard's death. And so they did. But the police were like, what? What is this? Like, this wasn't, there's no mystery here. This guy died of a heart attack. This case is closed. Like, are we going to believe some 17-year-old girl? And so, I I don't know, enough information got to the right person that they were like, okay, we have some tissue samples still left from his autopsy. Why don't we test them and see if we can corroborate her story? See if we can find traces Mm -hmm. of this poison in there. So when they went to go get these preserved samples, they were, like, days away from, like, the date that they would destroy them. Okay. So, like, you know, there's, like, a expiration date, essentially. Like, yeah. hey, this this case, there's nothing in question here. There's nothing open here. So on this date, we destroy these samples. Right. They were, like, just a couple days away from that. And they were like, oh, great. Let's take those samples. Well, then they had to find a lab that had the testing equipment required to test for this specific poison. It was a very specific type of machinery. It was called a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. Oh, really? Shut up. Gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. Yeah, I've got one. (laughs) It's a $150,000 piece of equipment. Yeah, I'm very rich. And it did this very specialized form of testing that would find if this specific poison was in the blood or the tissue. It took them months to just find a laboratory 
that had this machinery to send this tissue sample off to. And then it took like five months to get any test results back. Wow. So it seems that maybe nobody was like really like nudging this along because it was just the word of a 17-year-old girl. And they're like, is there really anything to this? Also, I would add, Mm -hmm. I bet just just from having worked in a bureaucracy for a little while myself, you don't want to reopen a case. Yeah. The case is closed. That's beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like. Months are going by. The girls have graduated high school at this point. They're in college. And and Stacy is second guessing herself at, as time passes. She's like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Should I have called? Should I not have called? Did I do the right thing? Her life is like falling apart. She checks herself in to like a psychiatric treatment center because she just feels like she can't hold it together anymore. Hmm. Meanwhile, Marie is just like. Yes, she um, enrolled at the University of Texas in Austin, majoring in pathology. (gasps) Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Marie, Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. a little too on the nose Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, Marie and Stacy, like, never spoke again. Um, I believe it. Yeah. 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 Finally, like... Eight months, nine months after she called the police, Stacy got a call in her dorm room one night from a police detective who said the test results came back. Stephen Robard had 28 times the lethal amount of this specific poison in his blood, and he'd be there the next morning to take her statement. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Where was Stacy at school? She went to Sam Houston State University uh-huh. in Huntsville, Texas. Yeah. Okay. There's a big prison there in Huntsville. What's she majoring in? I don't know. Damn it. Brandy. I'm sorry. I don't know that part. Hmm. So, so Stacy gets that call. She's in her dorm room. She gets, she's like so stressed and so relieved at the same point. Mm-hmm. She's like a flood of emotions. She said she got out of bed and went to the vending machine and ate five Snickers bars. <laughs> Okay, I gotta say, I gotta say, I've never been a Snickers person. I like a Snickers. Okay, here's how you do it. Oh my God. You know, there's a special way to eat it. You unwrap it first, in my opinion. You get the, you get the, no, you don't unwrap unwrap them first. Yeah. No, actually, you don't do that first. What do you, listen to me. Let me guess, you put it in the freezer. Yeah, you get the Snickers minis. You gotta get the minis. The minis. (laughs) I, I understand. Okay. Okay. You throw those in the freezer. Okay. And then you take one out. You unwrap it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You take that little frozen sucker. Mm-hmm. You stick that right oh, there. Like chewing like tobacco? tobacco. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a little treat you just carry around with you. This is why I love trick or treating with you. You and I had very different, different tastes in yes. candy. Yeah. Mm-mm. I'm more of a nutless gal myself. <laughs> so they get the test results back. He's got 28 times the lethal amount of this poison in him. And so they head off to Austin. They arrest Marie. And she didn't ask any questions. She surrendered without incident. They took her back to the Austin police station. And she 
immediately confessed to the killing. Yeah. She told them exactly what she'd done Mm -hmm. and how she'd done it. And the detective was like, had your, was your father abusing you? No. And she said, no, sir. And the detective asked if Stephen had ever done anything to her that he shouldn't have. And again, Marie said, no. And then the detective asked her why she had done it. And she said, because it was the only way I could go back home. Mm. And the detective said, who did you want to go back home to? And she said, my mom. I just wanted to be with my mom. Ugh, I think this is so sad. Yeah. Yeah, she thought this was the only way that she could get to live with her mom again. After her arrest, Marie was let out on bond and she went back and she lived with her mom and Frank while she awaited trial. She got a job waitressing at TGI Fridays. Hey! You know, I've got a lot in common with this murder. Yearbook staff, waitress at TGI Fridays. Beautiful beyond measure. So this is how beautiful she was. While she was working as a waitress at TGI Fridays, like a film crew came in to shoot a commercial there. Uh And they were like, you... You must be in the commercial. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so she was like, come on in for yeah. the sizzling cheese Yeah, So she was like in the commercial there serving really stuff to was customers. Sizzling yeah, sizzling chicken, chicken, chicken and, cheese. and cheese. It was yeah, I remember it. I thought it looked like the grossest thing. I thought it looked like the best thing we served. I don't like chicken and cheese together though, so that was, What? I don't think I don't think cheese belongs on chicken. Well, it's not fish. <laughs> that's even worse. You're well, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's You're terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love cheese. You know this about me. I know. That's there why are I'm a few like... things it doesn't belong on. Doesn't belong on fish. Mm-hmm. Doesn't belong on chicken. Doesn't belong on barbecue. Hmm. I feel very strongly about this. Hmm. All right. <laughs> All right. You've always been a strange one. <laughs> Wait, Marie, so like, well, so like, um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you have more questions about my cheese and yeah. chicken? Okay. Okay. The Z-Man sandwich no. at Joe's KC. No cheese. Uh, would you shut it Kay. for just a second? <laughs> Drink your G Fuel. Hashtag not sponsored anyway. Okay. It's delicious. It's got brisket. It's got an onion ring. It's got provolone cheese. It's got barbecue sauce. It's like a wonderful sandwich. All over the Food Network. It's, you know, a big deal. I think Anthony Bourdain said something good about it. Yeah. But you. Hold the cheese. No. The sandwich is great. No cheese. You can continue, but I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So Marie had received a $60,000 payout from her father's life insurance. When we were in high school and they had, (laughs) they had, do you remember like the best thing the cafeteria had? It was like chicken tenders and fries. Yeah, and people put nacho cheese to dip it in. Disgusting. You never did that? No. Gross. (gasps) Gross. Okay. I was trying to catch you in a lie. No. No. You never did that? Never did that. 
I did it. Gross. Like every day. Yeah, gross. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, saw people do it all the time, and I was disgusted yeah, by it. Yeah, I mean, you it. watched me do it. Yeah, and I was disgusted by it. Mm-hmm. Chicken, cheese, no thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm, there's an exception. What? I like buffalo chicken dip. It's got cheese in it. There you go. But it's not like a piece of chicken with cheese on it. Oh, what's that? What do I have on the line? A liar. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Marie had received a $60,000 life insurance payout from her father's death. Oh, and damn. She... What? That's a lot of money for it a It is a lot of money, yeah. yeah. So she used that to hire two... Like really well-known defense attorneys in the Fort Worth area, Bill Magnuson and Ward Casey. The name Ward Casey sounds very familiar to me, but I did a like a quick Google. It's just and, a cool name. Yeah, and I couldn't find just that a I, cool name. Anyway, they decided that the best defense strategy. Strategy. I have a really hard time saying the word strategy. <laughs> really. <laughs> Okay. I wanted to say, like, if I would have kept going, I would have said strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have said. That would have been a tragedy. It would have been. (laughs) (laughs) You know what else is a tragedy? What? Hamlet. Oh. Mm. Wow. Very good. You're welcome. Anyway, so they decided that the best. I didn't say thank you, but. (laughs) Defense strategy would be. To get the jury to believe that Marie didn't know the poison that she had used could kill a person. She'd simply been trying to make her father sick enough that he couldn't take care of her and she'd have to go back and live with her mother. That's pretty weak sauce, man. I don't (laughs) know. Okay. They thought if they could get the jury to believe this, that maybe they would give her, you know, a conviction on manslaughter rather than murder Mm -hmm. and she'd get a lighter sentence. So the defense attorney told the jury she only wanted to make her daddy sick. (laughs) You love the word daddy. She just wanted to go home to mama. Oh, okay. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it so much. So our boy Skip Hollinsworth attended the entire trial, obviously. He said that the courtroom was packed every day one high school civics teacher brought like their entire class to sit in during the testimony thought it'd be really educational skip made a note in his article that at one point he looked over and there was one of these high school girls sitting next to him and she was writing a note to her boyfriend that said i am psycho in my love for you do you hear my heart pounding oh my god That is romantic. That's so romantic. <laughs> um, so Marie had gotten like her little haircut. You know, they put her in these flowery blouses, you know, tried to do the court makeover, you know, make her, you know, not look too cute. You know, they cut her hair short and she wore a headband and all that stuff. Hmm. Okay. It's a tactic. Yeah, okay. To make her, number one, look younger and All right. and look plainer okay. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Marie's mother was not allowed in the courtroom during testimony because she was a potential witness. And so oh, she could only okay. come in on breaks. And when she did, she came in and she hugged Marie and she was there to support her and whatever. 
Um, the testimony was really emotional at times. Uh, Stephen Robards' dad, Jim Robards, took the stand, and he said that, of course, he was very upset over the death of his son, but that he really believed that Marie should be forgiven or offered a probationary sentence. He said that, you know, she had been through a lot. Uh, they they brought a, a psychologist who had examined her on to say that she was suffering from PTSD and didn't know how to properly express her emotions. And and this is kind of what Jim Robard said. He said he didn't blame Marie for what she did. She had been put through something that no kid would know how to deal with. And this shouldn't define her life. Hmm. I think that's pretty big from someone who lost their child yeah. over this. Yeah. Uh, in a weird move, like there was this whole plan to put that psychiatrist who had examined Marie on the stand. His name was Randall Price. He had done several sessions with with Marie, but the defense never called him. Uh, the prosecution, I believe, called him and he talked a little bit about the post-traumatic stress. But the defense had planned to call him and say that he believed that Marie never wanted her father to die, that that was his assessment over the sessions. But They never did it for some reason. And so the prosecution was kind of left open to just make a lot of assumptions about her mental health. And and they talked about how her actions when he was actually like physically dying, how she didn't try to help him or tell the paramedics what she had given him or anything, that that was a clear sign that she did want him to die, not just be sick. Hmm. What do you think about that? I don't know. I think it would be very possible to be like, oh, I'm going to give this to him and he's going to be really sick. And then in the moment when you see that it's actually killed him to just like freeze up and be like, oh, my God, what have I done? I think it also would make sense in that position when you're that young going Mm -hmm. through all that to not necessarily put together hey, if I tell these professionals exactly what Mm -hmm. is in his system, they might be able to do something Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. See, and the prosecution believes that she did know that. And they talk about this at the trial because she had pulled the material safety data sheet out of the chemistry lab and brought it home with her. So this is the sheet that tells you exactly what will will happen if you ingest this poison and what steps to take to counteract <gasps> it. She had that was missing from the chemistry lab. Okay. And then they also used her chosen major in college, pathology, to say that she had she was a great chemistry student. She excelled so much that she'd gone on to seek a profession in pathology. She knew that this particular poison wouldn't be found on a basic toxicology report, wouldn't be traceable in a basic autopsy. She picked it on purpose. She knew exactly what it would do. She had committed the perfect crime, and she would have gotten away with it had she not told anyone. Hmm. I think that's pretty compelling. Yeah, the fact that she had that sheet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. In the prosecution's closing argument, they said just one stomachache wasn't going to get Marie back to her mama's place. Stephen Robards had to die. Hmm. 
the jury deliberated for like an hour. Yeah, there's not much before to... they convicted Marie of murder. Yeah. So then it was the the sentencing phase, and the defense decided they needed to have Marie speak at the sentencing. She hadn't testified at the trial, but they wanted to put her on the stand during the sentencing phase and just have her tell her story, you know, Mm -hmm. in her own words. And so she did. She took the stand, and she was shaking the whole time. Her voice was breaking, and and she told the jury that, you know, she'd never— broken any law before and that she didn't really know why she'd done it. She just wanted to get back to her mom. And then her defense attorney said, Marie, did you love your dad? And she said, very much. And then he asked her, are you sorry that you killed your dad? And at that time, she just like broke down. She was just sobbing, tears running down her face. And she turned to her grandparents, Stephen's parents, and said, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. The prosecution told the jury that Marie deserved a life sentence because she had given her father a death sentence. But the defense asked for probation. They said, um, that she would already be punished enough by having to live with the guilt of her father's death for the rest of her life. What do you think the jury recommended for her sentence? I don't think they did life. Mm-hmm. They did do life? No, they didn't. Oh, You're right. Yeah. You're right. They recommended a sentence of 28 years, yeah. which is what she was sentenced to. In the first few days after her conviction, when she was being held in the county jail before being sent to a prison, she was placed on suicide watch. During that time, that that court-appointed psychiatrist came in and visited her, and she asked him if she could get her college degree while she was in prison. And he was like, yeah, of course. And she said that it was really important to her that she would spend that time improving herself, and she was just going to accept her punishment and move on. He said when he went and saw her, she was wearing, like, these this paper outfit, which is what they give people who are on suicide watch. Mm -hmm. And she was sitting in this cell and she was just trembling. She was shaking because she was so cold. And so, oh, no, this psychiatrist was like, he's like, this is terrible. You're cold. Ask them for clothes. You can have clothes. They will give you clothes. I will tell them that they will that they should give you clothes. And she said, I don't deserve it. I've caused so much suffering. This is what I deserve. Okay, that went differently than I thought. What did you think was going to happen? I thought that he, intending to do something nice, like gave her a jacket and then she hung herself. Oh, God. God. Yeah, no, that would be terrible. You're right. Okay. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that didn't Uh, happen. Initially, Marie, like, called her mother collect every single day Mm -hmm. that she was in prison. And in one conversation, she told her mom that she hoped Stacy didn't feel bad about telling the police what she'd done. She said she hoped that wasn't something that she carried around and that she she had really liked Stacy. They'd Mm -hmm. been best friends. Marie was a model inmate. um, And in 2003, after serving only seven years of her sentence, she was paroled. She is believed to be living under a new name and has started a new life and is married and wow yeah 
Okay, I've got to look her up. She's beautiful. Marie Robards. And obviously that's the story of a mother-daughter bond. Oh, gosh, yeah, she she was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so the majority of that comes from the article Poisoning Daddy by Skip Hollinsworth. Oh, boy, but you love that. (laughs) Okay. You good, Grandma? I am. (laughs) All right. You ready for this? Yeah, you gonna talk about a daughter who poisons her dad? No, uh-huh. I'm not that kind of person <laughs> who delights in those stories. I that was a pretty good case that Doreen recommended. That was a really good yeah. case. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She saw the forensic files episode on. Oh, it. did she? Yeah, mm-hmm. recommended it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to start this off, I need to do a shout out for. FamousTrials.com. Oh, we love Famous Trials. On we this do. Dougie O. Professor Douglas O. Linder, <laughs> who probably doesn't want us calling him Dougie O, <laughs> runs that website, and he's got some great write-ups on some trials. Excellent. And uh, this is one of them? Here we go. Okay. It was April 26, 1983, at Bethel High School in Pierce County, Washington, and boy, the whole school was a buzz. Why, you ask? Calm down. I'll tell you. Okay. That day... Bethel High School was holding its annual Student Government Assembly! (laughs) That's right, an assembly! Nothing beats an assembly. The energy, the cheering, the pressing up against each other on the bleachers. Yeah, that's not a great part. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on who you're pressed up against. Usually you. Oh, you know what? I... I had a memory <laughs> of an assembly sitting uh-huh. next to you. We were um, a couple rows in front of us was a girl with like a ton of clips in her hair. Uh-huh. Do you remember those like metal ones that like they were kind of? No, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, yes. everyone. I know you can't yeah. see what I'm doing. Uh-huh. They're kind of this shaped, mm-hmm. almost like a rounded triangle. They can't see us. Yeah, but anyway, they have anyway. Anyway, bottom line was, I was like. Man, she couldn't get any more of those clips in her hair if she tried. And you said, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) That sounds like me. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So anyway, that's my memory of assemblies. But this wasn't any old assembly. This was a high stakes situation. Because during this particular assembly, students nominated one another for student government. Okay. Maybe it's that they were nominating each other. Maybe it's this Matthew guy like had to fill in for a friend who wanted to give his own speech. Anyway, you get the, you okay. get the gist. All right, there'd be sounded like you said you get the gist. What? That's why I thought you said it first, and then I was like, gist. Yes, there's a T. And then I'm an adult, and so uh huh. I you <laughs> mentioned jizz. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which it looks like I have right here on my shirt because yeah, I everybody... dripped my lunch on me. I tell you what, eating with you is kind of like eating with a toddler. <laughs> I don't get food on myself like hardly ever, only in your presence. Oh, so it's on me. <laughs> I think I'm getting so nervous around mm-hmm. you. I'm a star, baby. 
So, you know, this was a big deal. There'd be speeches, there'd be cheers, maybe some laughs. Maybe one of the candidates would mock a disabled reporter from the student newspaper. And maybe like half the students would vote for that candidate anyway. Not because they were a little hold on, hold on. not because they were bad people, just because they were sick of the status quo. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyone who didn't want to attend the assembly had to go to study hall. But who the hell would go to study hall when you could go to an assembly? I loved assemblies. Me too. Everybody did. Yeah. They were the best. Yeah. Oh my god, we had so many good assemblies. We did. My favorite was like when like there was like homecoming or yeah. prom and you got to see all the girls walk out yeah. in their gowns with their updos. It was a mm-hmm. big deal. I always loved them when there was a skit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes oh. sometimes the guys they'd walk up mm-hmm. and they'd pretend like they had like a cactus for the girl to yeah. take and she'd mm-hmm. be like, eh, and then he'd pull out a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Uh-huh. And then he'd throw the cactus to someone else. Mm-hmm. And they'd have to go to the hospital. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. For Matthew Fraser, the stakes were high. He was planning to nominate his friend, Jeff Coleman, for Associated Student Body Vice President. That sounds like a bullshit position. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Very rude to Jeff. I'm just saying. For the occasion, Matthew had prepared a speech... He wrote it rather quickly, but as an enthusiast for the written word myself, I'd say that the speech was quite stirring. He played with word choice, metaphor. He found the areas to pause and the areas to emphasize. It would be a magnificent speech, perfect for the solemn act of nominating a high school boy to be vice president of Bethel High School. Now... A few of Matthew's teachers heard some of the speech before the assembly, and they didn't care for it. They said it was inappropriate, and that he should probably not deliver it, (laughs) and that if he did deliver the speech, he might face severe consequences. (laughs) But you know, Brandy, great artists are rarely appreciated in their time. Uh Uh-huh. And so, young Matthew ignored his haters. And soon, nearly 600 of his peers, uh, most of whom were about 14, assembled for the assembly. Mm -hmm. The room was alive with energy. The air smelled of Aquanet, Love's Baby Soft, and Designer Imposter's Perfume for those budget-conscious teens who weren't paying for the label. (laughs) (laughs) You look like you're so sick of my shit. I love it. <laughs> I love your shit, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Soon it came time for Matthew to make his speech. And so he brushed his feathered hair from his face and he adjusted his large tinted glasses. And they he, have the bar across the top. You know they did. It was the 80s, yeah, of man. And he stood before the crowd of hundreds and prepared to tell them about his wonderful friend, Jeff Coleman, who would no doubt make a great, nay, outstanding student body vice president. Mm -hmm. Here is what young Matthew said that day. Okay, I'm ready. So excited. 
I know a man who is rock hard. No. (laughs) (laughs) He's firm in his pants. He's firm in his shirt. His character is firm. But most of all, his belief in you, the students of Bethel, is firm. Jeff Coleman is a man who takes his point and pounds it in. If necessary, he'll take an issue and nail it to the wall. He doesn't attack things in spurts. He drives hard, pushing and pushing until finally he succeeds. Hold on. What? Did you write this fucking speech? No, this This is legitimately the real speech. This is the real speech. You could have written this. Thank you. (laughs) I am honored. (laughs) Jeff is a man who will go to the very end. Even the climax for each and every one of you. (laughs) So please, vote for Jeff Coleman, as he'll never come between us and the best our school can be. Oh my gosh. Reactions? (laughs) Thoughts? Comments? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) If you heard this speech in high school, what would you make of it? Well, if I was a high school student, I would have thought it was hilarious. What about as an adult woman? Oh, yeah, I would have been very uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, my God, these students are hearing this. (laughs) This is so inappropriate. The scandal. Uh Uh-huh. These parents are going to be pissed. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to get so many angry phone calls. Well, Matthew's speech really hit home. According to school administrators who witnessed the speech, they said that students in the audience hooted and yelled. Some of them graphically simulated the activities that Matthew alluded to in his speech. Very good, Brainy. <laughs> Brainy's doing some gestures so that we all know she also I knows how to climax. Like some, like... <laughs> oh, God. Did you have to groan? Was that necessary? Yeah, I was getting my point across. I'm suing you. <laughs> <laughs> Others sat there confused and maybe a little embarrassed by the speech. Turned on, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Too turned on to speak. That's <laughs> where I'm at right now. <laughs> Personally, I'd like to think that those students were merely trying to figure out whether they wanted to vote for a man who was so eager to help them climax. Is that really what they wanted from a student body vice president? Or was that perhaps a job better suited to the treasurer? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that's what they were trying to figure out. I I just imagine that's what they were trying to to figure out. (laughs) The reaction from the teachers wasn't quite so mixed. They evidently didn't appreciate a young man who was firm in his pants and firm in his shirts and firm in his beliefs. (laughs) And so five of them wrote letters to the school administrators describing Matthew's speech and the disruption it had caused. I'm sorry, five teachers wrote or five students wrote? Teachers. Okay. The teachers are the ones who don't appreciate the firmness. Mm, The firmness of his pants. Students a little more mixed. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. The next morning, we can only assume that Matthew was greeted with one of these. Matthew Fraser, please report to the principal's <laughs> office immediately. And everyone around him went, Ooh, <laughs> somebody's in trouble. And once Matthew got to the office, 
Vice Principal Christy Blair sat him down and she showed him the five letters from the five angry teachers and she was like, care to explain yourself? And Matthew was like, I mean, yeah, I did it. I gave the speech. It had all the innuendos. And he was not ashamed, for his speech had been a work of art. (laughs) But the vice principal, a.k.a. No Fun McGee, reminded him that Bethel High School had rules, and he'd violated a big one. What? Had he? It was all innuendo. You think you can get up in front of 600 kids and just be talking about being rock hard in your pants? He didn't use any obscenity. Oh, okay, okay. I'm on Matthew's side here. Oh, my God. I think it was hilarious. (laughs) I rule it hilarious. (laughs) The rule book clearly stated that, quote, conduct which materially and substantially interferes with the educational process is prohibited, Brandy, including the use of obscene, profane language or gestures. Did he make any gestures? Not that I'm aware mm-hmm. of. Hmm? Then I don't think he's outside the rules. What about obscenity? He didn't get up there and curse. That's not that's not only what obscenity means. He didn't he didn't describe graphically any sex acts. He just Brandy. He didn't. You'd have to be a dumbass not to know what he was saying. He's talking about helping everybody climax. Yeah. Because he's the best so they rock be. hard. They're gonna be the best they could be. At climax in high school. <laughs> My God. Hmm. Matthew's speech had certainly been disruptive. Man, what a prude, Kristen. It had disrupted the assembly. <laughs> And one teacher had to spend a portion of their class time discussing Matthew's speech. No, with the you class. know what it fucking did? Hmm. It engaged every student in that auditorium. Oh, oh my. Well, in that case, let's all engage in porno talk <laughs> as long as it keeps the kids engaged. You know what? Hey, we've got a we got a tip for teachers. If the kids aren't paying attention, just throw porn on. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm fucking saying. I wish you hadn't said that, Brandy. (laughs) And Brandy, why does it have to be such offensive porn that you're advocating for? (laughs) So the vice principal handed down Matthew's punishment. He'd be suspended for three days, and he would be removed from the list of candidates for graduation speaker. Okay. That doesn't seem crazy to me. I'd take my punishment and be like, whatever, I still got to give my speech. Hmm. Interesting. So, would you be shocked, surprised that this was the punishment you received? No. I think he knew going in that that he was pushing it. And mm-hmm. he spoke to a couple of teachers who were like, mm, probably shouldn't. probably shouldn't do that. And he did it anyway. So, he knew he'd be facing some consequences. Okay. Well, for the record, Matthew was outraged. Really? Yeah, the punishment wasn't fair. Why did the school administrators have to be so rigid, so rock hard, so veiny? (laughs) (laughs) Matthew felt like they were really giving him a pounding. You did write this part. I did write this (laughs) You know what's so funny to me? It never even occurred to me. 
that you would think that a speech that a high school boy wrote and got in trouble for would be something that I, an adult woman, would write. Yeah. It closely matches your sense of humor. It absolutely (laughs) does. I mean, that's why it shouldn't have been surprising that you would just stop me and be like, is this real or is this just a joke? It's all very real, I assure you. His fellow students were on his side. They loved the speech. Jeff Coleman won his election in a landslide. Matthew was a hero for having the courage to discuss boners at an assembly. I'll ask you something, Brandy. Mm -hmm. When you're a hero Mm -hmm. and the man tries to get you down, Mm -hmm. do you lay down and take it? No. Or do you fight for your right to tell a bunch of 14-year-olds that your friend is rock hard for them? Huh? Yeah, you got to fight for your right to go ahead and finish it. (laughs) Obviously, the answer is the latter. And not one of those steppy ones. (laughs) It's the second thing I said. (laughs) So, Matthew. (laughs) Matthew appealed his punishment through the powers that be in the school district. And the hearing officer was like, I'm sorry, you said a guy was firm in his pants in a school assembly and you expected, what, zero consequences? No, we can't have that. The hearing officer described Matthew's speech as, quote, indecent, lewd, and offensive to the modesty and decency of many of the students and faculty in attendance at the assembly. Okay, let's calm the fuck down. (laughs) (laughs) It was indecent, lewd, and offensive, Brandy. (laughs) Okay, so my thought is, like, okay, unclutch those pearls. But also, yeah, you do this... You, you know, yeah, you yes. know you're going to get in trouble. Yes, come on. Yes, that's the only part I disagree with at this point. It's like, yeah, you know you were going to get in trouble, and you really think that you're going to be allowed to then go give another no, speech? No, of course not. No, of course not. Yeah, you wrote a hilarious speech. Yes, hats off to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> but you're yeah, in you're high done school. now. You don't get to give any more speeches. And wow, you went out with a bang. <laughs> Brandy, you will be suspended for three days. (laughs) It was obscene and had absolutely violated the school rules. Matthew was bummed. He'd lost the argument, so he was suspended for two days, but on the third day he was allowed to come back. And you're probably thinking, cool story. Seems like it should be done here. But you're wrong because Matthew was firm in his beliefs and firm in his pants. pants, And he knew that the school district had made a grave error. Oh, I just bumped the mic. I was so excited. But, okay, this is dumb. No, it's over now. No, it's not. I assure (laughs) you it is not. So Matthew, you know what he did next? Uh, He looked himself in the mirror and he said, let's go to court. Why? Because Matthew Fraser's right to free speech I was gonna say, his had been violated. Sorry, had a real aggressive itch on my you belly. You did, there. man. What's what's going on over there? You're rolling some poison ivy. I know no. that's your kink. <laughs> You're the one who likes it on your anus. Okay, you know what? People, People are going to believe that, that that's true. Mm-hmm. No, so okay. Pausing. Yeah. I think this is fucking ridiculous. Yes. To go to court for this. Yes, this is dumb. You did your punishment. Now you're 
Back to your regularly scheduled. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Brandy's dentures said. got a little loose there. <laughs> what if these were dentures? What it if all makes this sense. Time, they're really beautiful. All this time I was like, yeah, these are just my beautiful teeth. Never mm-hmm. had a cavity. And then one day my teeth just fell out on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, truthfully, <laughs> truthfully, I would die inside. <laughs> Because it's like, oh my gosh, she has always made such a big thing about her teeth, and now I know that it was all a lie, and like, she she might just end it here now that those things have popped out. Yeah, that would be terrible. I would feel terrible for you. <laughs> so, you know, they went to court. Mm-hmm. Okay. How... <laughs> How do you think this played out? Who do you think what won? I would think would happen, but mm-hmm. then it can't be the case because then you wouldn't be covering it, mm-hmm. is a judge would look at it and be like, no, get out of my courtroom. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, the exact opposite happened. Uh, the district court sided with Matthew. They were like, yeah, the school district violated Matthew's right to free speech. Also, their disruptive conduct rule is unconstitutionally vague. I was going to say overboard. it's super fucking vague. They could apply that to anything. Okay, but I think I think most rules have to be kind of vague, right? It's, I mean, what are we going to... It's real vague. Okay, what should it say then? Well, because it says... Uh, now I can't remember the exact wording, but I remember when you read it, I was like, wow, that leaves it really vague. They can tailor that to anything, and they can go back and say anything violates that. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is pretty vague. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it makes me happy to, like, rub your anus on poison ivy. <laughs> but maybe it also makes you happy. How are you getting possession of my <laughs> anus? <laughs> I'm just picking you up like a baby. Rubbing you against the earth like the end of a pencil. <laughs> just like a razor. <laughs> By removing Matthew's... I keep my anus locked down pretty tight. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the security guard goes for a smoke break every now and then. (laughs) By removing Matthew's name from the list of commencement speakers, the school district had violated his right to due process under the 14th Amendment. (sighs) And that's because... If being removed as a commencement speaker was a possible punishment, they should have mentioned it as a possibility. But they didn't. They sprung it on him, and that was wrong. This is so stupid. That is so dumb. Yeah. Okay. The court awarded Matthew Frazier $278, adjusted for inflation, $758. And almost thirteen grand in attorney's fees. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, Matthew marched happily off into the sunset. Thanks Firm to, as ever. <laughs> thanks to a... No, that was his friend. Matthew was quite... Oh, you know what? I, I shouldn't say anymore. These were teenage boys. <laughs> Stop objectifying these teenage boys, Kristen. You're a 35-year-old woman. Mm, but I look 32. <laughs> that makes it no better. <laughs> 
So thanks to a write-in vote, his classmates nominated him as a graduation speaker. And so he got to give a speech at graduation. No, really? Yes. Oh. Can you... No, I can't believe that. What? Yeah. And again, oh, this wasn't mentioned as a possible punishment. You go up and you give a speech like this, yeah, which again, know. I think is hilarious. It's and I, hilarious. Yes. I, I love the speech. I love it. But yeah, you don't get to give any more speeches now. Yeah. That's your swan song. Yeah. You're done. You know? Yeah. And then you can sit in a bar 20 years from now and be like, remember that time yeah. when I did that great thing? Would you like to hear his graduation speech? <gasps> I sure would. Okay. So he got up there brushed his feathered hair back, (laughs) adjusted those tinted sunnies. And he said, okay, I'm going to wait for you to finish drinking. Okay, I'm ready. He said, no shit. There once was a man from Nantucket whose dick was so big he could suck it. He said with a grin as he wiped off his chin, if my ear were a cunt, I would fuck it. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding? No. He said he that. He really did that lyric? No. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. No, I have no idea what he said at graduation. <laughs> I wish I knew. I just Googled dirty joke. <laughs> yeah, that's like the most famous limerick. Thank you. And I wrote it. <laughs> you did not. For this very podcast. I never knew how it ended, though. Because everybody like does it as a joke, but they uh-huh. only... Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different ways it can go. <laughs> so... Here's the thing. The school district was pissed. They were like, are you serious? So a kid can stand up in an assembly and just say whatever the fuck they want. And we, as the adults, can't punish the kid. We can't have rules. Have y'all ever been around teenagers? That's it. We're taking this thing to the Court of Appeals. Okay. Yeah, I would appeal it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because think of the consequences. Yeah. Literally, a kid can say anything. Yeah. And there are no consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they just got to get more specific with those rules. Well, like what? Like specific, you have to define obscenity and define lewdness. How do you dis- define obscenity? I think it would have to be more explicit than what mm-hmm. than what he did, because everything he did was, like you said, innuendo. It was mm-hmm. implied. It was yeah, it was wordplay. Yeah, I think he'd have to get up there and say the fucking limerick, <laughs> yeah, and be like, yes, that's one. Absolutely, that's obscene. That crosses the line. Yes, <laughs> the one before it. <laughs> You're on the line. <laughs> yes, yeah. Your toe's right there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So at this stage, both sides talked a ton about another court case, Tinker versus the Des Moines Independent Community School District. Mm. The Tinker case was huge, and I'm going to give you, like, the Cliff's Notes version. Basically, a group of kids who wanted to protest the Vietnam War decided to wear black armbands to school. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. They didn't get violent. They just wore black armbands Mm -hmm. to protest the war. And the school district handled this 
horribly. They flipped out, suspended the kids. I mean, (laughs) so stupid. Uh, The case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And the majority of the court sided with the kids. They were like, yeah, yeah it's just armbands. Yeah, they're like, students don't lose their rights to free speech the second they walk into a public school. That doesn't mean they can say anything, but the school administrators need a really good reason to censor them. The majority opinion read that school officials, quote, must be able to show that their action was caused by something more than a mere desire to avoid the discomfort and unpleasantness that always accompany an unpopular viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because looking back, we can all agree that the Vietnam War was a great thing and was handled beautifully. (laughs) The armbands weren't some major disruption, and the kids had rights, and the school officials had been wrong. So, Yeah, but if you let those armbands in, what about those kids that want to wear swastikas on their armbands? Mm. Where do you draw the line, Kristen? Mm. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> Gross, I hate it. See, <laughs> here's, here's what I would say to that. A swastika is yeah, it's a, a simple, absolutely more disruptive. It's a one, yes, absolutely. But that's the argument. I feel like people are like, well, if you're going to let those armbands in, what about the next arm? Yeah, what if the, you know, you're not going to let them wear swastika armbands, are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Black armbands. Yeah. You're cool with that, right? Yeah. What about a jacket that says "fuck the draft"? No, because there's obscene language on it. There you go. Yeah. Okay, that was another case that was kind of discussed. Anyway, back to the case at hand. And I'll thank you not to sidetrack me with your limericks. (laughs) (laughs) At the appellate court level, both sides, the school district and Matthew Frazier, were talking about the Tinker case. And Matthew's legal team, which at some point the ACLU got involved. It might have been, you know, right at the start. His team was like, oh, yeah, this is just like those Tinker kids and their harmless little armbands. They were just expressing their political opinions, and so was Matthew when he gave that speech. The Supreme Court already weighed in on this, so I don't know, even know why we're talking about it now. Let's all get out of here and hit up the mug and munch. Am I right? <laughs> but the school district's legal team was like, um, hold the phone. The Tinker kids wore little black armbands and didn't say anything. Matthew Frazier, on the other hand, gave a lewd speech filled with indecent language to a captive audience of minors at a school-sponsored event. Those are not the same. One of these things is not like the other. One One of these these things things just doesn't doesn't belong. I would agree that they're different. Well, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, they're different. (laughs) But you know who disagrees with you? The Supreme Court. We're not there oh, yet. Keep your pants on. The Appeals Court. <laughs> Doesn't quite have the same ring. Yeah, the Court of Appeals yeah. disagreed with the school district. They were like, what we have here are twinsies. Black armbands. Telling a bunch of 14-year-olds that your friend is rock hard. Same, same thing. thing. Can't <laughs> tell them apart. <laughs> They're so similar. Also, who are you, school district, to decide what discourse is decent and indecent? The appellate court said that giving the school district unbridled discretion to determine what is decent would, quote, 
increase the risk of cementing white middle-class standards for determining what is acceptable and proper speech and behavior in our public schools. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They're coming close to getting me on that. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I feel like anywhere, any race, any class, yeah. like you – you're going to punish the kid for getting up and doing a bunch of innuendos in a speech. Like, you're not just allowed to do that. Although, I am white and middle class, so maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't weigh in, you know? (laughs) What do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I'm really torn. Like, because of an accident? In two different directions. There. We sure did. Which We're is why torn. I torn. <laughs> this podcast is not good. <laughs> it's full of lewd comments. An innuendo. That's true. An obscenity. But in our defense, after each episode airs, we suspend ourselves for three days. <laughs> and then we get back to it. And we don't complain about That's it either. Right. No, nope. mm-hmm. we do the time. And we don't give any speeches in the meantime. <laughs> so at this point, the school district was like, okay, this is officially coconuts. So they took this case all the way to the United States. A <laughs> That was really rude how you did that. It was <laughs> all rare to go. <laughs> Supreme God. I'm sorry, I could not resist. <laughs> by this point, Matthew was in college at UC Berkeley, and he was fascinated by this whole thing. He loved it. He was getting a front row education on the inner workings of the court system, thanks to his little speech about big dongs. But you know what they say, Brandy. All good things must come to an end. Mm -hmm. And fact check, he never mentioned the size of anyone's (laughs) dong. Just the firmness. Just the firmness, Mm -hmm. yeah. He didn't oversell or undersell Mm -hmm. anyone. And for that, I admire him greatly. (laughs) In a seven to two opinion, the Supreme Court was like, are you guys for real? (laughs) There's a big difference between the political message that the Tinker kids conveyed silently with their armbands and the in-your-face sexual innuendos in Matthew Fraser's speech. And by the way, appellate court, when you decided that this case was just like the Tinker case, you kind of glossed over the part in the Tinker ruling where the court ruled that the armbands did not intrude upon the rights of other students. But in yeah. this case, there were like 600 yeah, kids in the room that day. Are just being, yeah, just being yeah, violated, yeah. penetrated, no, subjugated. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just that. <laughs> and those kids had a right to not hear such juvenile sexual innuendos. The Could court- he have just played dumb? No, come on. I know a guy who's rock hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be hilarious. Right? <laughs> like what? I don't I don't understand what you're talking about. 
Oh my God, gross! What are you, you what saying? What are you saying, Vice Principal Christie? Please <laughs> explain it to me. Explain what you thought I meant. And oh she'd have been my. like, "Never mind, please." Leave. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone could have saved themselves a ton of time. <laughs> the court talked a lot about how part of the job of a public school is to teach students the habits and manners of civility. Yes, we can disagree. Yes, we can have political debates, but you can't subject others to your jackassery. Mm-hmm. That's a direct quote. I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Congress, there's protocol for telling another congressperson that they've crossed the line. Fun fact, when Thomas Jefferson wasn't busy raping enslaved women, he wrote some rules about how there can't be indecent language in the House of Representatives. Yes to slavery, no to bad words. I'm getting sidetracked, but my point is (laughs) the real world has rules and so should public schools and school officials should have the authority to enforce the rules. It is totally normal and expected that a school would prohibit the use of vulgar and offensive terms. Duh. Yeah. Then the court hit below the belt. They insulted the content of Matthew's comedy routine. What'd they say? They wrote, It wasn't even that funny, and the audio quality was quite bad. (laughs) (laughs) They wrote, I tried. I really did. I really did. This was recommended to me. (laughs) And I have since slapped the recommender in the face. They said, quote, the pervasive sexual innuendo in Fraser's speech was plainly offensive to both teachers and students, indeed, to any mature person. <laughs> I was going to say, I wasn't offended by it. I thought it was hilarious. I know. That's why, that's why I was personally offended by this opinion. Any mature person. That's funny. It's funny. Come on. Yes. Uh, They also said by glorifying male sexuality and in its verbal content, the speech was acutely insulting to teenage girl students. Was it? I don't know, because he's going to fuck every single one of those kids. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless of gender. See, that's their heteronormativity. That is. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's going to help all of them climax. Okay. Regardless of gender identity. Absolutely. And that's why Jeff Coleman made such a great <laughs> vice president. <laughs> they also wrote the speech could well be seriously damaging to its less mature audience, many of whom were only 14 years old and on the threshold of awareness of human sexuality. <laughs> Brandy just <laughs> mimic jerking off. <laughs> no 14 year old was shocked by that speech it's seriously damaged more like no. it right? no they was nothing right they haven't shocked. heard in the hallway every day interesting that you should say that um, in a dissenting opinion Thurgood Marshall wrote that he agreed with most of what the majority said, but not that last part. Yeah. Yeah, because he'd recently heard of a young girl who at 14 years old named her vagina last <laughs> past. <laughs> so clearly she wasn't on the threshold of awareness of human sexuality. She was deep in the thick of it. That girl's name, 
Brandy Egan. <laughs> I think it's so cool that Thurgood Marshall mentioned you in an opinion. <laughs> no, what what he said, and I didn't go too far into the dissenting opinions, but in one of the dissenting opinions, they were like, you know, back in my day, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, was like super yeah. like, wildly offensive, like, let's all calm down. Yeah. So, in other words, the court was like, yeah, this speech was out of line, it was too sexy, got us all steamed up under the robes, and therefore the school had the right to punish Matthew, and hot damn, we can't believe this kid sued over this, I wonder if he'll turn out to be a bit of a douche. <laughs> That's what, those are their words. I kind of agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in 2001, Matthew was interviewed about his legal battle for the Freedom Forum Institute. At the time, he was a debate coach at Stanford. Was he like a master debater? Brandy, please don't be lewd. You're causing me serious damage. Because while I may look 32, You're I'm actually 35. developing sexually. I'm on the verge. I'm just on the cusp of developing. So he maintained that the Supreme Court had gotten it all wrong. He said... Quote, there should be a heightened level of protection for speech in a student assembly. If there is any hour in the entire year that is entitled to the protections of the First Amendment, it should be when students give nominating speeches for political offices. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> Dude, you gave like a speech about boners. Like, yeah. Calm down. Yeah. I, yeah, that's my thing. Is like, oh God. but if we don't protect the boner speech, then we can't protect the other types. I of know. I mean, I thought the speech was hilarious and I loved it. But yeah, I would have just done the punishment and like that would have been it. Yeah, and you wouldn't. Fifteen years later, as a grown ass man, be like, you yeah. gotta protect boner speeches. <laughs> Supreme Court got it wrong. I was right the whole time. Yeah, no. Also, I thought they were kind of unprepared. That's the other thing he said, was he really? felt like the Supreme Court justices were kind of unprepared. Oh, the Supreme Court justices were... <laughs> okay, sure thing, buddy. Yeah. Um, assuming my Google skills are up to snuff, he's now the executive director of, like, a summer camp thing. Mm. Anyway. Uh, and that's the story of a speech that went too far, mm. Brandy. Mm. I loved it. I loved it, too! <laughs> that was so funny! Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, I think the lawsuit's stupid. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, but this it, this is like a yeah, it's a very it, important case in if you're gonna fight for free speech, you gotta fight for the kooky things too. Isn't that what your journalism teacher taught you? Yeah, yeah, that includes boner speeches. Gotta fight for those boner speeches. <laughs> yeah, the thing is like. And the Supreme Court mentioned this. I, I feel like I, this always comes up anytime someone's like, freedom of speech, I can say whatever I want. It's like, yeah, and the federal government, government can't, yeah, the government after. can't come for you for what you say. But yeah, the school that you're in can have a punishment yeah, for it. The yes, the business that you're, in, that you're doing it in can yeah. have, yes. <sighs> I loved the speech. I'm very torn from there. Uh huh. Because I think the lawsuit is stupid. 
<laughs> it created complicated feelings for me too. Yes. <laughs> because initially you're like, okay, come on, school administrators, just cool. It. And then you're yeah. like, all right, kid, why don't you yeah, cool it? You cool it. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm glad I could give you something so hard. <laughs> Shall we take questions from our Discord? Yeah, how do you get in there? Hell if I know. <laughs> that was a hilarious joke. Yeah, it was very That good. went too far. Uh, no, you sign up at the $5 level on our Patreon. Uh, that gets you into the Discord. It gets you a monthly bonus episode. It gets you nothing beyond that. But, you know, if you want more stuff, you sign up at the higher level. You know the drill. Absolutely, I do. <laughs> okay, roll it down when I smell it. Wants to know what products have you purchased from an infomercial? Have you ever purchased an infomercial Ooh, product? I'm sure that I have. I bet you have too. I you love get really on TV stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was growing up, we had the Showtime rotisserie, <laughs> but I didn't purchase that. Right. My parents did. We also had that food dehydrator thing. My parents used to make jerky all the time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's also pretty good. <laughs> what have I bought that's been an as seen on TV thing? I'm sure something. I know you love. I love infomercials. I know you do. Yeah. And then I love to go like, so Walgreens has like an as seen on TV mm-hmm. section. Mm-hmm. Love to go in there and look at that stuff. I got David a cup call. <laughs> What's that? It's like a phone holder that goes in your cup holder. Wait. Oh. It's like a phone mount. Uh-huh. But it just sits in your cup holder. Oh. It's a cup call. <laughs> it was on clearance. It, it, David saw the commercial and really liked it. Uh-huh. And then he was like, "Ooh, maybe I want to get one of those." And then it was twenty dollars. He was like, "I don't twenty dollars like it." Yeah. And then one day it was uh, it was fifty percent off at Walgreens, so I bought it for him. <laughs> You're a hero. That's right. Uh, Veronica H wants to know: Is a giant beanbag an acceptable piece of furniture for a grown adult? Asking for a friend. <laughs> I think it depends on where you have it in your main living room. Maybe not. In like a hangout, like mm-hmm. rec room? Absolutely. Okay. Norman got really mad at me recently <laughs> because when we first got married, the thing he wanted most in the world was a beanbag for uh-huh. his office. But his beanbag in our first house was like, or, I'm sorry, his beanbag. His, his o- office was like, <laughs> just telling you about my husband's beanbag. Everybody calm down. <laughs> This is offensive to any mature person. (laughs) Everyone, Brandy's confused. She's bewildered even because she doesn't understand what I mean by Norman's beanbag. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't want him to have his beanbag hanging out in the first room you saw in our house. You know what I'm saying, Brandy? You don't want to walk into a house and see a man's beanbag straight away. That's more of a bedroom thing or maybe a hangout room thing. Right? Am right. I right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the other day, I saw this. It looks fucking awesome. It doesn't really look like a beanbag, but it's just like this gigantic thing. Yeah. It's just a gigantic beanbag. Bean mm-hmm. And I want to jump in it so bad. And it's kind of expensive. And I was like, the love sack? Oh, yeah, it's the love sack. <laughs> oh my God. I want one for the basement. Yes, and I yes. was like, hey, what do you think of that? And he was like, are you serious? Yeah, you wouldn't let me have a, my beanbag out in my office, and now you want one for the basement? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. It's a fair argument. <laughs> no, it's not. 
No, you are asking to put it in a completely different room. You should fucking get that thing. I want one so bad. I want one really bad, too. So my parents have a very big oversized beanbag in their basement Mm -hmm. that, so when we come over, because they've got like, you know, a lot of seating and like the yeah. rec room area. And then Jack like always lays in the beanbag when we're yeah. all playing games and stuff in their basement. Is that the end of that story? It's the whole story. <laughs> 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 they got it specifically because they thought Jack would think it was cool. And he does. I wasn't asking for more of the story. <laughs> Wagon hitched douchebag. <laughs> says, where do you fall on the chuggy scale? Oh, I'm super chuggy. What's, what's that mean? I'm sorry, I just spat. What's chuggy? Let me look up the definition for you. Chuggy can be used broadly to describe someone who is out of date or trying too hard. And while <laughs> a lot of chuggy things are associated with millennial women, the term can be applied to anyone of any gender and any age. <laughs> and the example on Urban Dictionary is... My friend told me to change out of my favorite pair of Miss Me jeans because they were chuggy. <laughs> I'm pretty chuggy. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're both pretty chuggy. <laughs> things that are decidedly unchuggy. Okay. All right. No, these that, are the things that make you unchuggy. Let's see right. if we have any of these. Thrifting. No, I don't go thrifting. No, I don't go thrifting. <laughs> making, smells bad. Making your own clothes. No. No. Handmade products? Do you make your own soaps and stuff? You know, I used to do some of that stuff, but it's never as good as just the stuff you buy. Okay. Levi jeans? No. No. Mm -hmm. Birkenstocks? I got a couple pairs of those. I've been thinking about but That doesn't count. (laughs) That doesn't count. Uh, Home decor bought somewhere other than Target. (laughs) Okay, I I definitely have that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking good for yourself and not caring what other people think. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I don't know where I fall on that. (laughs) Okay, I have to clarify this because this is my favorite story. And this someone, this person just doesn't, clearly didn't understand what I was explaining. Okay. AJ Beers says, on an old episode, Brandy mentioned a weird interaction with a guy at her salon. She asked what he wanted done. He didn't know. She asked what his hair was like before. He said he didn't know because he'd never been there before. And then that story story ended. Okay, so that's not what happened. <laughs> Do you remember this story? Yes. Okay. So the man came in. And so this AJ Beers goes on to say, the story just ended. I love closure. What did he end up wanting? How did you cut it? Was he happy with it? Did he ever come back? Okay. None of that stuff matters. That's not the funny part of the uh-huh. story. The part of the story that's important is that he came in, he sat down in my chair, and I said, how would you like your haircut today? And he didn't really know. And so then I asked him how he'd got it cut in the past. And again, he didn't really know. And so I said, you know, did they use clippers on you? Did they use scissors? And his answer was, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not from around here. As if that somehow clarified that to me. You see, he's from Nebraska. And in Nebraska, they just run a lawnmower over your hair. That's ridiculous. Yes. 
<laughs> so, yes, he didn't know if he used clippers or trimmers or scissors or how much he got cut off or how long it had been since his last haircut because he wasn't from around here, which can only mean he was an alien. Yeah, it was. he was an alien. Yes. It was his first day on this yes. planet. And you interacted with him. Yes. Okay, here's Artie Bartz back with a uh, with a would you rather. Okay. Would you rather have to wear a belt made from salted nipples? Oh, no. Made by <laughs> the one-of-a-kind designer, Ed Gein, uh-huh. every day for one week and have to tell at least one random person about it as well as show it to them. Oh, no. Or be required to have a day of treatments from Dr. Hazard, including one of her hour-long enemas and her one-hour head-beating massages. That's the Starvation Heights doctor. Yeah, yeah, I would wear the nipple belt. I would, too. Oh, God. That's a dark one. (laughs) Yeah, because at least then I survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, salted nipples for a week it is. But you know what I'd have to do? If I have to tell one person about it, Mm -hmm. I would have to every day go to, like, some other place in town. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, okay, I'm never going to see this person again. Better tell them about my salted nips. Yeah. Oh. I don't think it's made of your salted nips, just for... <laughs> if I own the belt, it is. <laughs> a dirty slut goblin would like to know, is Stranger Things in the horror genre? Asking for yeet-haw. Yeah, I'd call it in the horror genre. Who else yeet-haw? It's someone else in the Oh, table. okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is this fucking yeet-haw? And why are we asking questions for them? Oh, well, I was just like... You know, sometimes somebody says a name and it's like, am I supposed to, is Yeet Haw famous? <laughs> no. Is he a yodeler? <laughs> I would say that Stranger Things is absolutely in the horror genre. It's also in the sci-fi genre. It's like, and... <laughs> Do you think my hand gesture was important there? Probably. People are going to be yeah. like, what the fuck are they doing? Well... They'll never know. <laughs> Keels MKFM. What? Keels MKF. Uh-huh. So obviously it's Keels MKFM. Uh-huh. What are your thoughts on men that say women don't poop? Run from those Yeah, men. absolutely. Yeah, guaranteed to be a bad time with that guy, I yeah. promise you. What's that? Like, hold, oh, hold whoa, whoa, up. What do you got? Storman Norman wants to know. I know Brandy is against the Diva Cup, but have you ever tried the Bloody Buddy? No, oh Mike. Is that what a the real hell thing? Is that? is that real? I'm not against the Diva Cup. I'm scared of the Diva Cup. She protests the Diva <laughs> Cup on the weekends. The Bloody Buddy. <laughs> Jesus. Let's look this up. It's shipping now. Mm. It just looks like a diva cup. Its patent pending features make the Bloody Buddy Cup a perfect choice for beginners or experts. How do you achieve expert level? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just a few points away at myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Okay. I'm scared of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Hot asthmatic Subaru cat owner wants to know mm. best baked potato toppings. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> people are gonna hate this. What do you like on your baked potato? My my favorite combination. Mm-hmm. 
cottage cheese and salt and pepper. I know. I know. Ew, you monster. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a weird thing. It's from childhood. You have kept that a secret because I never knew that about you. You, you most <laughs> certainly have. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you blocked it out. Because I know we had baked potatoes all the time growing yeah, up. Yeah, we certainly did. I never saw you put cottage cheese on one ever. That's not the truth. Because <laughs> my mom did it all the time. Oh, my gosh. That is alarming. I must have blocked that out. Mm-hmm. That sounds horrifying. It's delicious. I, I doubt it. I don't it. know what to tell you. I doubt it. Well, you know how I like cottage cheese with the potato yeah, chips. I mean, I it's kind of. Mm, yeah. Mm, kind of same, same deliciousness, if you ask me. <laughs> I like my baked potato with chili on it. Oh, kind of a basic bit, huh? <laughs> You're a real chuga. What's that uh, word? Chuggy. Chuggy. <laughs> real chuggy to put chili on there. <laughs> The cool kids are putting cottage cheese on it. I doubt that very much. <laughs> They're going to start it up because, you know, some cool podcaster influencer mm-hmm. told them to. <laughs> Calling yourself an influencer now. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an influencer. Uh-huh. I've influenced. Are you listening to this? <laughs> Put some cottage cheese on your potato. Boom, influenced. I think on that note, we should <laughs> move to Supreme Court inductions because I can't talk to you anymore, right? <laughs> Why? Because I've influenced you, and now you have to go get a potato with cottage cheese on it? No. I thought so. I no. Thought so. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't it get hot? What do you mean? The cottage cheese? No. You know, it's uh, it stays pretty cool. I mean, you eat it right away because it's so delicious. You don't let it sit. <laughs> Has Norm seen you do this? Oh, yeah. He thinks it's just. I was going to say, he hates cottage cheese, so I can't imagine that this wouldn't just be the most horrifying thing ever to him. Yeah, he does not understand it. (laughs) (laughs) He is not a fan at all. Oh, my God. But, you know, haters going to (laughs) hate. I'm just like Matthew Frazier with those school administrators trying to keep him down. (laughs) You're just firm in your pants and your beliefs? I would say so. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, on to Supreme Court inductions. <laughs> to get into the Supreme Court, you have to sign up at the $7 level on our Patreon. There's no other way to get in. That's right. Unless you sign, sign up, up at the $10, $10 level. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are reading your names and your favorite cookies. Christine Martin. My Mother's Homemade Shortbread. Mallory. Banana Chuck. <laughs> banana Nut Chocolate Chip Cookies. Marissa. Those banana chuts are great. <laughs> I love a good banana chut. <laughs> Marissa Tani Thaler. Soft Homemade Chocolate Chip Pants. Soft <laughs> in the pants. Sorry. I shouldn't mess up people's inductions. Soft Homemade Chocolate Chip. Aaron Robinson. Girl Scout Thin Mints. Melanie Kleinsorge. Thin Mints. Amy O'Donohue. Nairns Coconut and Dark Chocolate Oakleys. Nairns? Nairns? That sounds like hair removal. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Amy, do you have any hair inside your mouth? Nope. It's because you're eating Nairn. Sorry, that was lame. <laughs> Patty, make sure to leave that in so no, everybody hears how lame Chris is. <laughs> ruin my status as an influencer. <laughs> Jessica Pappin. My grandma's no-bake chocolate oatmeal cookies. 
Sarah Shirley. Chocolate Chip. Brandy Louder. Cream. What has no one ever said ever? <laughs> cream cheese cookies. What is a cream cheese cookie? I don't know. It's one of those things, it doesn't sound good, but it's probably delicious. It really is. Jay Judd. Your mom. <laughs> Jay says he'll win the your mom battle with this one. Okay, I hope you won. Aaron Durr. Snickerdoodles. Zoe Pasternak. Kona Cookie. Emmy Johnson. Snickerdoodle. Jordan Gaylord. Lemon Shortbread with Lemon Icing. That sounds amazing. August. (laughs) (laughs) That gives like an explanation of how to pronounce it. Like, ah, shucks, but ah, goods. (laughs) White chocolate macadamia. Amanda H. Pumpkin oatmeal chocolate chip. What? That's like the second person who's had that. That sounds terrible. Uh, We've never had it, though. Mm. We're probably being dicks. Yeah, we probably are. But that sounds disgusting. (laughs) Ryan O. Oatmeal rum raisin. Sarah Weeblehouse. Archway lemon cookies. Taylor D. Chocolate junk. Andrew Sedempole. Chocolate Chip. Yumiko S. Pumpkin Snickerdoodle Whoopie Pies. Ooh, that sounds good. Mm. Welcome to, to the, the Appellate Court Supreme Court. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. Oh, so much. <laughs> you <laughs> asshole. You're the one who said it weird. I didn't. <laughs> I mean to anyway. I probably did. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, if you guys are looking for other ways to support us or whatever, that'd be cool, too. We're on oh, Facebook. Yeah. We're, we're totally on Twitter, chill. We're totally we're cool. We're on Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, you know, if you're into that kind of thing. And then we're head just on sitting over here in our Levi's and Birkenstocks. podcast. And if you feel like it, leave us a five-star rating and review. And then, you know, it'd be cool if you joined us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from the website famoustrials.com, Wikipedia, an article for the Freedom Forum Institute, and a video from the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. I got my info from an article by Skip Hollinsworth for Texas Monthly, an article from Medium by Delaney R. Bartlett, and an episode of Forensic Files. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 